reading is from 1st John chapter 4 uh, 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 12 God's love and ours dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I'm going to read the same verses from Farsi Bible. در کتاب اول یوحنا فصل چهار آیه های هفت تا دوازده محبت خدا و محبت ما ای عزیزان یکدیگر را محبت کنید زیرا محبت از خداست و هر که محبت می کند از خدا مولود شده است و خدا را می شناسد آن که محبت نمی کند خدا را نشناخته است زیرا خدا محبت است محبت خدا این چنین در میان ما آشکار شد که خدا پسر یگانه خود را به جهان فرستاد تا به واسطه او حیات داشته باشیم محبت همین است نه آن که ما خدا را محبت کردیم بلکه او ما را محبت کرد و پسر خود را فرستاد تا کفاره گناهان ما باشد ای عزیزان اگر خدا ما را این چنین محبت کرد ما نیز باید یکدیگر را محبت کنیم هیچ کس هرگز خدا را ندیده است اما اگر یکدیگر را محبت کنیم خدا در ما ساکن است و محبت او در ما به کمال رسیده است um, and we're also taking a break from our normal series in the book of Acts this morning. If you've been coming regularly, uh, we normally look at Acts, but we're looking at this passage in 1 John 4 this morning um, as it contains truths that have become so precious to the people being baptized and truths that are precious to us as a church as well. And it'll be nice to take some time to think through those. But when I'm not working for a church, um, in my spare time, I like to go home and play my guitar. And over the years, um, you sometimes get to meet people, other people who play the guitar, people who play instruments, and sometimes um, they invite you to play along with them. So they might say, oh, well, why don't you come to, to, to this open mic night I'm doing on Friday or something, or um, come along, we can jam together, that'd be really cool, come to my place on Friday or there's a thing going on. Well, it's happened to me in the past that I've gone along to jam with these people, to play guitar with them and, and make some cool sounds, and um, I've turned up and I've plugged in my guitar, and I've strummed a few chords and maybe played my favorite song and thought, oh, this is going to be quite cool. And then they join in or, or they play their song. 
And when they start, it becomes clear quite quickly that when I said I can play guitar, I meant something quite different to them. You see, I think I'm good at guitar because I can keep in time and I know most of the chords. But what these people I've played with, what they do on the guitar is amazing. It's breathtaking. Their hands are like lightning up and down the fretboards and they make, they make the guitar sing in ways that I could never imagine I could have done. It made me realise that when I tell people I can play the guitar, the truth is uh, that what, what I can do isn't really the best example of playing the guitar. I say I can play, but I don't really want you to see what I can do. I want you to see what they can do. In comparison with those other guys, you might think that I barely know what I'm doing on the guitar at all. Now, the Bible often confronts us with something similar when it shows us what God is like. If we think we have knowledge, well, we meet God and we discover that actually all the knowledge we have is very, very little. We wouldn't want to say we've got knowledge when we're standing next to God. If we say we're wise, we meet God in the Bible and realise that what we have is not really wisdom at all, but just something that's a pale shadow of it. But that's actually really comforting when we do that. When we come to the Bible and find, we find that God is greater and more wonderful than we could ever have realised. And in this passage that you've got in front of you now, the writer opens our eyes to see that God's love is beyond anything that we could have possibly imagined. And it starts with this, love before us. It says in this passage, whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Those three words, God is love, comes up more than once in this, in this letter that uh, this is part of. God is love. And it's worth thinking about what that means, God is love. There's lots about God's love that we as human beings can understand because of the way we love. We think if, if our love is any indication of what God's love is, then when we can understand it. So you might say God has love because I have love, you have love for your brother or your sister or your spouse or a child. We can understand God's love because we could say he is loving. He is loving. And you know what that means, because you are loving towards your friends. But here's something strange. We can never say about ourselves that we are love. These words mean that God is different. His love is different to our love. And we would never have learned what his love is just by ourselves, by looking at our own love. Where it says God is love, it seems to be saying that God and love are the same thing. God is love. And that's because it's not here telling us what God is like. It's not saying kind of what flavour he is, what you, what you might, how you might describe him. Oh, I think he's quite loving. It's not describing what he's like. It's telling us about the life of God. See, what's true of our God is not true of any other God or any other thing that's worshipped. Anything else can be loving, it's not that God is more loving, it's that the very life of this God is love. And that's because before anything was created for God to love, the Father and the Son share the same spirit of love, of eternal and joyful love. Our God is three persons in one God, and he always has been. That means that there was love existed before there was anything to love. 
because love existed in the very life of God. That's something that our friends who are being baptised today have encountered and testified to. They become captivated by this. Some of our friends who are being baptised are from Muslim backgrounds, from Muslim cultures, where their culture talks about, talks about a God who is loving, but then they've come to meet the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And he is love. However loving we are, it's not that God is more loving. It's not that this is the most loving God you can think of, so come and be a Christian. It's that this God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Love before you. His life is a happy relationship of delight between Father and Son through their beloved Spirit. Which means God didn't just didn't see us and say, oh, I I should love them. He didn't decide to put his love on us. He doesn't fix his love on us. He overflows the love that is in his life, overflows the love of the spirit between father and son that pours out to us, a love that has been in God before time began. But the Bible also shows us in these verses that God's love is despite us. Um, Verse 10 begins, this is love, not that we loved God. It's interesting being a a parent to young children, sending them off to school or nursery and encouraging them to make friends. And you kind of find out how that goes. You you hear of the same names all the time. You realise they've got a small group of friends, but there's one particular person you know they're not friends with. So you say, well, why don't you you play with Jessica? Or whatever name, sorry if you're called Jessica. Um, But the answer comes back, and it's quite simple. Well, Jessica doesn't like the things we, I like to play with. She stays inside, we play outside. But I say, well, what about when it's raining? You just go inside and play with her anyway. No, no, I don't want to do that. And eventually it's because Jessica is just not very nice. She's mean to them. She says things that they don't like. She won't play. She's disruptive. And it's very hard at that point to tell your child, well, you should still love her. Because it's an instinct in, an instinct in us all to not love somebody who's not going to love us back. You're not going to get anything out of that. And what is evident in the life of a child is is in our lives as an adult as well. It's just more hidden. We don't really want to love anybody who's not going to give us love back, especially if they're only going to give us meanness, hatred back. Again, God's love is different. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This doesn't mean that God made the first move. Like as if he was a stranger, or starting a conversation with a stranger. There was us and there was God, and it was fine, but we just didn't know each other. And God made the first move, that he loved us. <clears throat> Actually, the background to this line, not that we loved God, the background to that is that we see plenty in the world to show us that God is actually reaching out to us. And we've already made our minds up to turn our backs on him. Not that we loved God means we've already hated God. We've thought and acted as if he's not there because deep down in our hearts, there's something that persuades us life is happier that way if you don't have to listen to God. Even if that is just in moments in your life. Maybe you don't sit here today thinking, well, I do hate God, but maybe there are moments in your life where you think it's just easier if I didn't listen. See, God doesn't love you as a stranger that he's just reaching out to for the first time. He loves you as a sinner, as an enemy. Which makes it all the more amazing that despite us forsaking him, his love forgives us. His love forgives us. 
It says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, we're going to pause at this point and ponder that as we sing a song that helps us to reflect on that and not just think about what I'm saying, but actually sing it and let that truth go into your hearts. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Um, why don't you stand in the battle leaders in singing?
your seats. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And we've just sung about him sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's think more about that atoning sacrifice. Um, I've heard there is a thing called uh, a speed awareness course. Um, some of you might know it very well. Some of you, I'm sure, have been on it, judging by the, the smiles and the laughs and the knowing looks. Um, many people seem to have been on this speed awareness course. Um, if you uh, don't drive or if you are not from this country, let me tell you that it's, it, whenever you're caught breaking the speed limit, as you might expect, there's a, a punishment. Uh, there is... Uh, a fine, I think, and there is uh, a record of what you've done. Points on your license, and points don't mean prizes, these are bad points. And, um, but that's the punishment, but there's a way to avoid it. Instead of facing the punishment for what you've done, you can, sorry, that sounds judgmental. Um, well, um, <laughs> you can avoid that. There is a way out. You can avoid the punishment if you go on the speed awareness course. Now, wouldn't it be great if there was another way out of any punishment that you might face, of anything else bad that you do in your life? Imagine you, you let someone down, and then you come face to face with them, and they say, look, I'm really angry. You let me down. There's a price to pay, except I won't be angry. There's another way out. You don't have to pay for this. Or someone finds out that you lied to them, and they say, that's hurt me, and I feel like you should pay for this. I want to tell people. I want to drag your name through the mud because it's not fair. But actually, I'll never hold this against you because there's another way out. God did that for his people back in the earlier part of the Bible. He gave his law and he said, I know all the things that you do that's going to break this law. I know all the ways your hearts secretly long to do selfish things. I know all the ways you've ignored me and lived like I wasn't here. No, it's not that you loved me. And there is, in this law, a punishment for that. But God said in his law, there's another way out. And that's called the atoning sacrifice, or the sacrifice of atonement. The idea wasn't that God would say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm just quite kind, and we'll forget all about it. We'll sweep it under the carpet. It's that God said, we will actually deal with that, that we will deal with that punishment, there will be a punishment. It's not that he says you can go on a course. If you make yourself better, then, then we'll all be fine. He says, no, we do have to deal with that. But the punishment of death will be transferred. And it was put onto a bull or a goat. And that bull or a goat was killed in the person's place. Now we're back to 1 John and you begin to learn how much God is not like, God's love is not like ours. When you see that his love towards us isn't him there in heaven like a kind of a proud grandfather with this warm, woolly feeling towards all that he's made, thinking, I'm so proud of them, I love them so much. His love acts. His love does something. His love intervenes. We read, he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died in our place. We can actually barely begin to understand love like that. The concept may be understood. Great. But it's actually the lifelong struggle. And if you're a Christian, you'll know this. The lifelong struggle of every Christian to really keep believing 
that that is true, that it is all done, it is all finished once and for all. See, at baptism, we publicly declare that we believe this is true. God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice in my place. And that's why people be baptized. But I can tell you guys who are being baptized, this is something that you're going to keep on learning every day of your life to let that settle in and affect you. Because the world around tells us that you can make your own way. So you make your own mistakes, but you make up for them yourselves. And other religions have got plenty of ways of offering you ways of doing that, so to try and do that. You'll have opportunities to pray and do good works and do charity and pilgrimage. But here is God's love. It's God's love that steps in for us. God's love for us that pays for us once. And that's it. For all. Never again is there anything that is needed to sort out that wrongdoing. The Son of God was the atoning sacrifice who was punished so that all our sins are paid for forever. God doesn't send us on a course because he wants us to be better. He doesn't say, if you, do, if you learn your lesson, we'll sort this out. And that is the lifelong life of a Christian, the joyful struggle of needing to let that, needing to learn that our life is not now a debt to God, but we can enjoy that. It doesn't tell us to be better, but by receiving his love, it does, it does change us. God is, God's love is so unlike ours because it's also love in us. It says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, if God's love has been, if God has been loved since before time began, if God loves us even when we don't love him, and if God's love has already finally dealt once and for all with, with all we've ever done wrong, then God is not saying you have to love one another because that's a debt that you owe. He's not saying this is a payment that you should do. When it says we ought to love one another, it's not saying you should feel so guilty that you do it for others or that God wants you to now make it. It's saying if you've received this love, it will change you. We will love one another because love changes us. And that's why baptism happens in the context of a church. Because when you accept this love that, of God that forgives it makes us into people who in turn turn that out towards others. And in church, we get to live that out. When we come to the, the bit to do with baptism, I'm going to ask the people who are being baptized some questions about whether they trust this love, this truth. But we're also going to ask the church some questions as well. And we do that every time. And that's because we as a church want to be serious about loving one another and part of that is how we as a whole church commit to those who are baptized how we as a whole church extend our care and our encouragement and our prayer towards people who take this step of baptism see god's love to all of us who believe in him makes us truly mean what we're going to say when we say a promise on the screen where we agree to and this is the the line to nurture one another in the Christian faith and include these persons now before you in your care. God's love for us means we'll mean that and it means we'll do that, not as a debt, but because of how much we know he has loved us. 
And I love this, the wonderful joy and freedom in these verses. Uh, the reason why we love one another. It's joyful and it's free. See, our own version of love is not a good example of what it means that God loves, of what God's love is like, of who God is. His love is eternal. It comes before us. It's despite us. It forgives us. But the wonderful thing is that it does transform us so that our love will be more and more like his. Our love can be more and more self-giving, more and more burden-carrying, unconditional love. Not because he says you have to love one another. Because of this love that is poured out to us by his grace and kindness, we get to love one another. <laughs>